So if you have a Bible, you can turn to uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, is eventually where we'll be today. So again, it's a great privilege to be with you. Um, so thankful for Josh and the work that he's doing out here, and, um, and grateful to get to open God's Word with you guys today. So we are, like I said earlier, we are in this series um, called, the, it's a DNA series. We're talking about the traits of a disciple. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it look like? And as you'll see this morning, we're trying to go to a lot of the passages in the New Testament, in the Gospels, where Jesus said, if you do this, then you are my disciple. And so we're going to look at one of those today. And today, we're talking about the trait of a disciple as somebody who lives God's story. Okay, and so God's story is contained in the Bible, that a, a disciple is somebody who lives and obeys uh, the word of God. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And so it's a really important topic for any follower of Jesus to, to know about the Bible and talk about the Bible. I would say, especially in our context, this church, Parkview Church, sits in an area, and maybe you've heard this before, but we are in the bottom 10 out of 100 cities of the least, we're, we're considered one of the least Bible-minded areas of the country. And just to give you some context, let me give you some other cities around us. So uh, 93rd, towards, so they took the top 100 Bible-minded cities, and we're towards the bottom. So number 93 uh, was Hartford, Connecticut. 94 was San Francisco. 95 is Las Vegas. 96 is Buffalo. And then there we sit, the Cedar Rapids, Iowa City, Waterloo area sits at 97. Like we're considered least by, less Bible-minded than San Francisco and Las Vegas, okay? And if you're curious, 98 is Providence, 99 is Boston, and 100 is Albany, New York. And so we definitely live in an area where uh, people do not know, do not have a regard for the Bible. There is a real strong education push up here in this, in this campus, I know that. And so maybe you've heard this before, but there was a teacher named Richard Letterer he was an English teacher, and he collected a bunch of stories that his students wrote over the years, like their misconceptions about the Bible. And so he just kind of kept a, a collage, a, a collection of misstatements about the scripture that his students had. And so let me just read you some of those. Like one was that Adam and Eve were both created from an apple tree. And one of their children, Joan of Arc, married Noah, was Noah's wife, okay? And that Jacob, the son of Isaac, stole his brother's, his brother's birthmark. That would be painful, but apparently he did. Okay, so Pharaoh uh, faced, um, I'm, I'm sorry, Pharaoh forced the Hebrew slave, slaves to make bread without straw. And that God's people made unleavened bread, which is bread without any ingredients. And that Moses went up on Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. And that Solomon, one of David's sons, had 500 wives and 500 porcupines. And so there we go. Those are some of the misstatements. And so living where we live, it may be true that a lot of people don't know the Bible, but then I think it's even moved past that. It's not just that people don't know the, the content of the Bible, but there's an aversion. There's a growing hatred towards the Bible. In fact, if you just read different statements that are posted on different blogs, about the Bible, you'll see things like that the Bible is written by primitive men, not by God. It advocates hatred of women, slavery, the killing of children. And so just some really just, not just, you know, we don't know about the Bible, but now there's a growing just anger and hatred at the Bible and about those who believe in the Bible. And so you contrast that 
with what the Bible says about itself and with how Jesus treated the Bible. So one of our anchor verses in this two-week series about the Bible uh, is 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, where it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so what we're going to do this morning is just do, for a few minutes, an overview about why do we trust the Bible? Like, why is the Bible our source of authority at Parkview Church? And then with the rest, the next two parts of this sermon, we'll look at uh, what does it mean to be a disciple? And then how does a di- in other words, how does a disciple respond to the Bible? And then the third part we'll look at this morning is what happens in our lives when we respond to the Bible like Jesus wants us to. Okay, so that's where we're headed. Let me pray, and then we'll, we'll just jump into this, this sermon. So, uh, Jesus, would you teach us this morning, because we are a people that need direction. We are a people that so easily can be misled and led astray and drift from you. And I thank you that the Bible we, that I'm holding, the Bible that's available to us, is a great way for us as your people to stay connected to you, to, to learn from you what is true, what is helpful, what is good. And so may we be a people who have a hunger to hear from you. And then may we be a people that just see you do amazing things in our lives and in our midst as we follow your word. So teach us today about your word. In your great name we pray. Amen. So let's just set the table again. Like one reason we make such a big deal of the Bible is because of what the Bible says about itself. We just read that in 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, that the claim from the Bible is that this, this book contains the very words of God, that God uh, spoke through the human authors, through the Holy Spirit, and, and gave a message for us. We, in other words, just today, tomorrow, every day of our lives, can hear from and learn from our Creator through this book. That makes this book a very unique book, obviously. And so uh, we read 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. There's other passages that clearly teach this is the word of God. In fact, you just look through and there's over 3,800 times that this book will say, and then God said, and then God said. And so the Bible is very unique in that it makes its claim that it is the word of God. Okay, And so if that's true, if this book is the word of God, you would expect to see some very unique things that would come from this book or that we would see in this book. And so let me just throw out a couple. First of all, when you look at the life of Jesus, he treated the scriptures uh, just very reverently. He made it clear, like in Matthew 5, 17 and 18, he says, don't think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Then you look in the life of Jesus, and he referred to the scriptures so many times. In fact, in Matthew 4, when Jesus was tempted to sin by by the enemy, by the devil, he didn't just kind of wing it on his own. He quoted scripture. Like, Jesus knew the scriptures. And I, I think there's evidence, as you look at the life of Christ, that he was, a devout, he was a devout student of Scripture. He knew uh, the Old Testament Scriptures. There's, 
that um, glimpse of his life that even as a child, even as a 12-year-old, like he was debating the scholars and discussing scripture with the scholars. So there was a real hunger that he had. And so even though Jesus, fully God, fully man, you think if anybody could have a pass from needing to read his Bible, it's like, I got this, I'm God. You know, so he didn't. Like in his humanity, he submitted to being a student of and obeying and fulfilling the scripture. And so uh, the Bible is very important. It's, the Bible says it's the word of God. Our Savior followed, obeyed, and taught the word of God. And so, again, you would think a book that special would have um, some special traits to it. And we definitely see that. For example, um, that if you just look at the Bible itself, it was written by 40 different authors over a period of about 1,500 years. It was written on three continents, three different languages. And yet, as you read from Genesis through Revelation on and how the Bible addresses some of the huge needs, some of the big questions, like why are we here? How did we get here? What's our big problem? What's the big issue of humanity? And what is the solution for humanity? You see Jesus and you see the gospel kind of communicated throughout this book. And that alone is phenomenal, the unity of the message of this book. I mean, I think we see even in our country today, you try to put uh, 40 people today in a room and uh, maybe from different parts of the world and throw them in a room and have them come out with one clear message about what's life all about, what's our biggest problem, what's the biggest solution. I, mean, I, I don't think that would happen today. But what you see, in spite of the diversity of the authorship, where these people lived, that the Holy Spirit just led them to speak with one voice. This is truly a, a profound uh, book. It's the number one best-selling book of all time. It's been translated into 2,200 languages. It's more than any other book on this planet. And so many things we could look at that just kind of show uh, that this book is an amazing book. It's a powerful book. To me, one of the most powerful, though, is when you see how God uses this book to change people's lives. Um, there's a famous preacher back in the day named Charles Spurgeon talking about the Bible. He says, you don't defend a lion. You just let a lion out of its cage and then it defends itself. And so speaking of the scripture, it's the same way. Like it's good to know answers and to be able to defend the Bible. But, but sometimes the best invitation to a skeptic of the Bible is here. Why don't you read this? And why don't you start doing what it says? Like let the lion out of its cage and see what it'll do. There's many stories you could look to. One of my favorite that I've come across in the last five years or so is a woman named Rosaria Butterfield. And she's written a book called The Secrets of an Unlikely Convert. And so back in the 80s, she was a professor of English and uh, some other, there's a slash role at the University of Syracuse. And she was part of the LGBT community. She identified as a lesbian. And her assignment was to write a study, do research on the Promise Keepers movement. That was a men's evangelical movement from the 80s and 90s. And so she was doing do, uh, do some research on that. And so of course, from her perspective, she thought that was the dumbest group of men on the planet. Like, why would you do what those guys are doing? And so part of her research, though, required her to start reading the scripture. And so she would spend an hour or two and just start reading the Bible. And so also along with that, she did some interviews with different religious leaders, and she would post editorials in the local paper just being caustic about evangelicals and Christians. And, and there was a pastor who, from a very small church, had just reached out to her in a very loving way. And so 
his response to her editorial turned into a conversation and a dialogue and eventually a Bible study. And over about a period of two years, uh, Rosaria Butterfield went from being, she would call herself, a militant, activist, anti-God, church, Bible, evangelical, to now uh, holding to the same gospel we hold to. And um, her, the rest of her story is amazing too, but she'll say that a key part in her change, in her conversion, was she was drawn to this book. As an English scholar, she was drawn by the beauty of the literature, of the different forms and styles, and yet how they spoke with such clarity and power. And so the word of God was like a magnet to her heart. And so even though there were many ways where she was trying to push aside the message of this book, the power of this book eventually led her to Jesus. And so um, anyway, we, I, there's, I could go more stories, even locally, some people in our church. I, there's a chemistry professor that over the years of just opening the Bible and reading uh, with some other men has come to faith in Christ and is following Jesus. And we had a student from China living in our house this summer that in just a two-week period would opened up her heart to the gospel, was hearing the Bible read to her in her own language, in Chinese. God just led a time um, where a man from China, from her hometown, spent about 45 minutes reading the Bible to her in her language, in her heart to the gospel was open. So this is a powerful book, all right? That's the main point. If you were sleeping for the first 10, 15 minutes, whatever that was, this book's awesome, okay? That's a summary, okay? It's the Word of God, and I encourage you, again, if there's skepticism to it or whatever, just take Spurgeon up on his offer. Like, let, let the lion out of his cage. Start reading and seeing what, this, what God wants to do through this book in your life, all right? So now let's jump into John 8, verses 31 and 32, and uh, this is the trait of a disciple uh, is that we will live this book. We will live God's story. Okay, so let me read these two verses to us. John eight thirty one and 32. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. All right? So let's talk about this context. Talk about the first part. Okay, so... Uh, what is a disciple here? A disciple is somebody who holds to Jesus' teaching. What's really interesting, the Gospel of John was written by a guy named John. It was Jesus' closest friend on the planet. He was one of the disciples. And he tells us that he wrote the Gospel so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ and we can have life in his name. Okay, that's, he just tells us, this is why I wrote you this gospel. I want you to know these things. And chapter 8 is really interesting because in verse 30, Jesus had been teaching, he'd been doing some miracles. And in verse 30, it says that many believed in Jesus. You're thinking, score, that's happening. Like, that's, that's why John's writing this gospel. But at the end of John 8, there's a whole bunch of these people that are picking up rocks and they're ready to kill Jesus, okay? Some of these people that, again, in verse 30, many believed, but then at the end of the chapter, many of those who, quote-unquote, believed are trying to kill Jesus, okay? So Jesus had a way of discerning, okay, are you really on board with me or not? And so that's why he brings up verses 31 and 32. He's using these verses to show us, okay, this is, this is kind of a test. If you really are with me, then this is going to be true about you, that you are going to hold to 
my teaching. And so it makes a lot of sense because if you are a disciple, sometimes that can be a churchy word. A disciple was a student. It's a learner. And so Jesus is saying, if I'm to be the one who disciples you, you've got to learn from me. Like you've got to listen to me. You've got to value my words. You've got to hold to my teaching. And so that's one way to kind of sift the crowd here. Who's really on board with Jesus? Who's not? Jesus says, the ones who really hold to my teaching, then you're, you're going to be, you're, you're proving yourselves to be my disciple. And so, um, I haven't done this in a few years, but one of my favorite things to do with my kids was when I got to coach flag football, right? And so you'll get flag football. It starts, it seems like, in first grade. That's crazy. That's hurting cats right there, trying to get everybody on the same page to run a play, maybe up through, whatever, fourth grade or so. But some of my favorite plays, you try to get everybody involved, try to get everybody the ball, right? And so, and so some of my favorite plays were when you would get some kid that nobody would think would run the ball, get him a chance to run the ball. And so usually be one of our linemen. You put him right next to the center and you have the whole team basically go this way. And the quarterback takes the ball and kind of just sticks it behind his back. And then the, the lineman just kind of comes and picks it up and kind of goes the other way. So there was a kid on our team named Colton that it was the Colton special. Like we would just go in the huddle and say, Colton special. And what's so cool is to see your whole team going this way and the defense is going and then you look up and there's Colton just kind of ambling down the sideline, like just going into the end zone untouched and Colton's going crazy. And so, but to get, get a whole group of third or fourth graders on the same page isn't always easy, you know? And so if there's some kids, ah, I'm going to do, I don't want to run a stupid Colton special. I'm going to do whatever I want. And so even if you try to set a kid up to succeed, if he's not going to go with the plan, like he, you could get him the ball, but he's going to run right into the defense and all that. And so, just to get it into everybody's head, like if you just do, if you just do what I'm telling you, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be really cool, especially when misdirection works. And I know as kids get older, it doesn't work as well. But but that's the plan. And so I just think Jesus is doing the same thing here. It's like he's got some good plans for us. He's got the playbook for us. And so the key is, if we're going to really see what he is teaching play out in our lives. We have to be students of his word. We need to hold to, we have to do what he says. And so um, in practice then, so this whole um, hold to, if, if you hold to, there's some verses, versions that say, and I think the one you guys have up on the screen there is abide. And so you'll see those words. If you abide in my word, if you hold to my teaching, then you're truly my disciples. Okay, well, let's break, let's get a little more specific. What's it mean to abide by his teaching? If you look through the scripture, Jesus, what do you want us to do with your word? There's kind of a, a part one, part two. He wants us to hear his word, and then he wants us to do it. Hear it and do it. I want you to have it, and then I want you to put it to practice. Like, and you need both there. Let me just show you a couple of verses where he just really pours out his heart about what he wants us to do with his word. He says, whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And so just very clearly there, Jesus is saying, you know what, if you really love me, the way you're going to show me that is you're going to do what I say. Like you're going to obey me. So Jesus' love language is obedience. He he says, yeah, just, I mean, you can sing songs about me. You can wear shirts with me. You can put a fish in your bumper sticker, like whatever you want to do. But like, if you really want to show me you love me, just do what I say. And look at the promises there in both of those verses. He said, if you do that, 
if you obey me, I'm going I'm to show myself to you. Like the way you really see God in your life and see God work in your life is when, when you obey him. Or verse 23, he said, if you obey me, then my father and I will make our home with you. Like just the presence of God being very real in your life as you obey the word of God. And so, so what's a disciple do? A disciple abides in, holds to the words of Jesus. And that's, they hear it and they do it. All right. And so, and then the next part is what happens then. A disciple is somebody that abides in God's word. So then what happens is that person is set free. Again, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so we don't have time to go through this passage, but let me just kind of summarize what happened. So right after Jesus said that, he said, you will be set free by my word. The, some of the audience that really weren't on board with Jesus said, mm, we don't really need that because we're already free. We're, we're descendants of Abraham. We're, we're good Jewish people. Like, so we're set, Jesus. We don't, we don't need your teaching. We're, we're set. And so Jesus kind of pushes back in that and says, well, actually, anybody here that is practicing sin, like if there's some sin in your life, then you're a slave to that sin. But if you listen to me, if you listen to my teaching, I'm going to set you free. Like he's offering them something far different than, than they're settling for. They're settling for kind of a religious tradition or that they are good with God because of their identity with Abraham. And, and Jesus is pushing back. And he's saying, no, 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 don't, don't just settle for mm, you, you think you're good enough or you don't need this. Jesus is saying, I've actually got something way more for you. I want to set you free. I want to set you free into what is really life. And so, um, so again, there's some pushback back and forth. And bottom line, again, uh, Jesus said, you can't hear me right now. You're not even going to hear what I'm saying because you're just stuck. You're stuck in this fact that we're good enough. We don't need your teaching, Jesus. And so that's a good heads up to us this morning. Again, we may not roll out the same statement. Well, Jesus, I don't need to hear from you because I'm a descendant of Abraham. Like, that'd be pretty weird. But sometimes there's different things that we'll say either maybe not as much out loud as much as just the way we live out. Like, Jesus, you know what? I don't, I don't think I really need this book right now. I'm doing fine. Uh, my life is good. Uh, I've been part of, you know, whatever church, whatever tradition for a long time. Or actually, Jesus, you know what? My family's going really well right now. My job is good. Uh, my kids are good. Like, everything's kind of set up right now. So I don't know if I need any more input right now from you. I think I, I, think I got this. And so that, that would not be the sign of a disciple, like a disciple of somebody, again, who holds to, abides in Jesus' teaching, and, and a person who is pushing aside the story of God, the word of God, is somebody that, that is still going to be in slavery to sin. Like, like, the word of God wants to continue to set us free to live the life that, that Jesus died for us to have. So, um, the story of the Bible is basically that we were created by God, that we are created to know him, so you think about the storyline of creation, fall, and then rescue and restoration. And so it's kind of the plot line of this book is that we were created to know God, but that every one of us has rebelled against this God. And that's, that's sin. That's when we do our thing instead of his thing. That's when uh, we ignore him. That's when we treat the people in our lives uh, in, in ways that he doesn't want us to. And so there's so many ways we sin, and yet Jesus came to rescue us from sin. He's our only hope. He's the only one that could do that. And then his, his plan then is to restore us and then to use us 
to bring restoration and hope to the world we live in until one day we live with him forever. It's a beautiful story that the scripture teaches. And even as you worship here on Sunday mornings, I don't know if you notice, but what Josh is trying to do is walk you through that story. Like when you come in, uh, there's usually a song we're singing where we're praising God. And then it may seem abrupt, but there's times Josh will then just say, guys, we got to confess some sin right now. You're like, wait, what? We were just singing a song. It's great. It's like what he's doing is he's walking you through the story of the Bible is that, yeah, we were created to know this amazing and beautiful God. We have rebelled against him. But when we confess that sin, we then have a savior who has come to rescue us from that sin and then to bring restoration and life into our lives. And so when you follow that story, when you live that story, you are truly uh, set free. And so uh, the truth is going to set you free when you just follow and believe what Jesus came to do, when we live his story. And so we just got to watch that because we tend to do this. We tend to write our own story. This is how I want my life to go. This is what I want you to do, God. And then we just can't hand it to God and say, hey, God, would you just kind of like sign off on this? And then that's how we'll do this. That's how, that's how I'll run my life. And, and God says, you know what? I, I, I respect your story and I love you and all that. It's kind of cute, but um, I got a better one. Like, and so I invite you into my story. It's going to be way better and I'm going to truly set you free. And it's going to be as you abide in the teachings and the word of Jesus because then you will be truly set free. And so if you cling to the truth, you cling to Jesus, you're set free. And so the gospel is what sets you free because then you are fully forgiven of all that you've done. You're forgiven of your sin. Your relationship with God is restored. And then this day forward, you move forward in relationship with God because of what Jesus has done for you. And now God is giving you direction to live this life. And that's why this book is so crucial to us. And so I just thought of three things. So what do we set free from if we truly believe and embrace uh, this story in this book? So I just thought about being set free from fear and worry. Like if you poll the average American today, like just, we're just running rampant with fear and worry. In the 70s, there were three sleep order clinics in our whole country. Three. Now there's, we're pushing 400. Like we are a people that are medicating. We're people that are doing all we can to get stress out of our lives. We have 400 sleep clinics going on in our country. And yet we are still a people that just are not finding peace because there's fear and worry. You embrace the gospel and you're set free from fear and worry. If God is for you, who can be against you? Like that's, that's one outflow of the gospel. You're set free from fear and worry. Um, you're set free from shame. Guys, I think another just recurring, if it's not fear and worry, I think what's quickly coming up in the ranks as I'm meeting with people and talking with people is this whole thing about shame and how shame is just robbing joy, how shame is causing people to just pull back and not enter into community with other people, just being overloaded with guilt and shame. And if you look at the message of the gospel, it's that Jesus died for our sin. Like we are set free that that now we don't come into God's presence based on our performance, but we come based on his performance for us. And so we can come clean about our sins. Like when Josh read 1 John 1, 9, we confess our sin. And then God is faithful and just, forgives us, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And so, so you don't go into your guilt bunker and your shame bunker, but you're set free. I heard a pastor say this week, is that one way I will know that you're fully understanding the gospel I'm preaching to you 
is that you will openly confess your sins to each other. Isn't that, doesn't that sound foreign sometimes in church world? It's like, wait, confess my sin. No, I got to come to church and just pretend like everything's good. And I had a great week and you know, I might struggle a little bit with a little bit of this or a little bit of that, but I'm not going to like open up to you about my struggle, my shame. It's like, no, no, no. If we really understand the gospel, we don't hide our sin. We just bring it out into the light. We bring it before Jesus and we confess to each other. We bring others in to help us in our battle with sin. We don't like, just try to do it on our own. And so that's when really powerful things happen. But, but the Bible sets you free from shame. And I think if there's one other just trend I see just in talking with people today, there's a real sense of hopelessness or like, where's everything going? Like this world is so confusing. How in the world do I raise kids in this kind of day? How do we run a marriage in this kind of day? How do I lead a life when everything is so confusing. I think one thing that the Word of God does for us is it gives us a path. It gives us a way to live. It gives us a plan uh, to, to live by. There's a great analogy of this several years ago, but um, I heard about a guy that was leading a platoon in Afghanistan. So he was in charge of about 100 men, and they were walking through an area, and they were in the area, and they realized it was a minefield. There were just mines everywhere. And you could just imagine, not just fear for himself, but this guy was wanting to protect his whole team. What in the world? How do we get out of this? And so they just froze for a minute, and they were just looking around. And then they saw something really cool. They saw two tire tracks that had driven right out of the area. They said, guys, we're just going to follow those tire tracks out of here. And that's to me, a great picture of what God's word is like. God's word is a lamp into our feet. It's a light into our path. It gives us direction. And how do we lead a family? How do I live a life? Like, where do I find direction in confusing times? That the word of God is what leads us through uh, so many things that could hurt us and, and, and bring hopelessness into our lives. And so, um, but the key is, the key is that we hear the word of God and that we put it to practice. Okay, we hear it and obey it. And so let me just talk for a couple minutes about that part. Okay, so so what? And the, the, the so what is this, that God is inviting you into a story, that God has given you his story, his message in the word of God. So how are we going to respond to this? And so um, a couple things. Number one, um, I hope that you've gotten a copy of the DNA uh, booklet is a study guide. There's some in the back. These are available online as well. But some of the uh, pastors at, at Parkview have put this together. And this week in particular, there's a couple of just very practical studies about how do you study the Bible? Like how do you, how do you get something out of it? It gives you some tips, some ideas about how to do that. Um, so highly recommend that. The other thing, and um, maybe if you haven't been doing this, you might be just a couple weeks behind, but don't worry about it. But there's like a memory verse for each week of this series. Like the goal is at the end of the DNA series, there's nine different memory verses and you've committed key scriptures to memory so that God can begin to teach you and lead you as you have his word in, in, your, in your head, in your heart. And so uh, this is week three. So if you haven't done any yet, like, you can get going here. It's maybe one of those things. I didn't know the teacher was going to quiz me on that. So I'm, I didn't know we'd really study that. Maybe those kind of excuses that can roll out. But, but I, I really encourage you to use this book. We've really written it with a wide range of people in mind, realizing that there's people that just haven't been reading the Bible. And if that's true for you, um, we're giving you some ideas there. Let me also just say this. Like if reading the Bible is a hard thing for you, could you just ask somebody like that? Let's, again, may this be a place where we're real 
just like, I haven't been reading the Bible, or I never read the Bible, or the only time I listen to the Bible is when I'm in church. Like, could we be a place where you just ask for help? And um, what's so weird is that we ask for help in other areas in our lives. Um, we, uh, Caleb had a, Caleb's here and was running cross country at, Nord- at Liberty, and uh, his zippers weren't working on the bottom part of his sweat. So we go online to figure out how do you fix zippers, right? And so, um, or you hear there's a new, your kid's into soccer and you hear there's a new soccer club forming in Mons. You're going, wait, how do you do this? How do you get them signed on? Like, it seems like when we really want something, we'll figure out how to get it done, right? And so that's my point here about the Bible too. Like you're, you're hearing me say good things. Maybe you've heard other people say good things, but you just, you personally have never really engaged with this book. You've never really learned. Could I just kind of, kick you in the butt in a nice way here and just say, you know what, that's kind of a hunger issue on one hand. Like the things you really want to get down, you get it done, right? And so let me just stir there a little bit. Like do you really understand what this book is and what God wants to do in your life through it? And then if that's the case, you understand that, then please just ask, you know, ask for help. Ask Josh. I'd love to show you some things I do um, and, and um, just walk you through. Like this is, this is a book I use. Uh, to kind of keep track of my time in the Bible. I call it fishing from three ponds. I read a psalm. I read a little bit from a gospel. And then I have another, uh, just a random free agent book of the Bible that, that most days I'll just read from each of those. And then um, uh, sometimes I, I have used notebooks in the past, but recently I'm upgrading to moleskins, right? And so, so I'll just take a few notes about what I saw and learned that day. And then what that does is it just kind of propels me into a time of just, just praying. I'll just pray out of what I just saw. And what has been so cool for me, again, when I die, nobody's going to collect these and put them into some kind of like, oh, the writings and, you know, whatever, the journals of Doug Schillinger. Like, they're, they're garbage to everybody else probably, right? But to me, these things are gold. Like, these have been just a really practical way for me to continue to stay in the Bible and have the Bible speak to me on a regular basis. And what's been so cool is to look back on these from times in my past where God has said some awesome things. Like I can look back. I started doing this when I was in college, not like I would say fairly consistently through all those years. And so when I can look back through old journals or now moleskins, like, it is so cool to see the things God was teaching me in my 20s. I hadn't even been to seminary yet. I hadn't been a pastor yet. But, but God was saying some really profound things. And so the same is, is true for you. God wants, wherever you are in the Bible reading scale, God would just love to meet with you and talk to you through his word and show you things um, that, that really can set you free. And so I just encourage you, encourage us as a church to be a people of this book, people who read it, study it, and put it to practice, all right? So let me pray for us.